I am very excited to announce that the Folly Coffee Hot Sauce Kickstarter has been successfully funded. We have created a new stretch goal with some awesome free rewards if we hit that stretch goal, as well as a brand new reward offering. Hint, Folly Coffee Barbecue Sauce. Check it out, follycoffee.com slash kickstarter. Don't wait. Hey, this is Rob. This is episode 59 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. I am here with Jake Underwood of Underwood Coffee out of Duluth, Minnesota. Here's the weird third third, third person thing where I'm talking about you right in front of your face. (laughs) But Underwood Coffee is a new roaster out of Duluth founded by, of course, Jake Underwood. Excited to have you in, hear your story. We we know each other just through passing of your your time at Spy House and just being back and forth with Phil Terra delivering cold brew and just the coffee scene. But I don't know much about your story. Like who the heck you were before that? Uh, Based on your Instagram, the things I do know is you're a big lover of natural wines. Oh yeah, Yeah, especially during quarantine. Especially during quarantine. Maybe a little too much. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, obviously a very talented coffee roaster. Thanks. And so I would love to hear just... How did you get your start in coffee? Because I don't oh, think boy. any two coffee people have the same story. Yeah, man. I love hearing people's coffee stories. It's always fun. Um, mine's a little weird, I guess. I mean, I feel like most people's coffee stories are at least a lot of them are like, yeah, I was like an English major and then like I worked at a cafe on the side and yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't do anything with my English major, so I'm doing coffee, which is cool. But like uh, me, I was... Uh, like essentially how I got into coffee. Um, so I like quit smoking cigarettes and I already like to start <laughs> and, and drinking like at the same time, like cold mm-hmm. Turkey. Yeah. Not that I had like a problem, but I was just like, <laughs> I need to do something different with my life. And, uh, my girlfriend at the time, her parents, um, bought me like a blade grinder and a French press and like a bag of like caribou coffee, like whole bean. <laughs> And up to that point, I was just drinking like Keurig coffee, like medium roast. And then I just fired up with like a ton of sugar, a bunch of like powdered creamer. I don't know why I was doing the powdered creamer. And then I'd smoke like a hundred cigarettes and that was coffee to me. You know, it was just like fuel with like cream and sugar. And I was good to go with that. That's like as good as it got. So when I got this like French press and this grinder, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, this is crazy. Um, But I like threw it together and I like made a cup of coffee and I drank it and I was like, that's different. You know, like, why is it different? Like this actually tastes like good. And then like I made another cup the next morning without like cream and sugar in it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is something a little bit more than I thought coffee was. Maybe I should explore this a little bit. Cause like I needed a vice, you know, cause like I wasn't smoking, wasn't drinking. Like I needed something to like focus my attention on. And so at that time I, I kind of got started getting like a little bit more into it. And I was working, at um, a company called Quality Bicycle Products out in Bloomington. And I was like building bikes. And like during the day, we were allowed to like have our headphones on and listen to music and stuff. And I was like, oh, I wonder if there's like a, like a coffee podcast out there, you know? <laughs> Full circle. This is so meta right now. Yep. And uh, I, I stumbled upon one called the, the Porta Filter Coffee Podcast by Nick Cho. Mm-hmm. No, I had no idea who he was at the time. I was just like, oh, cool, coffee podcast. Let's, let's get it, you know? And so I started listening to that and I was like, this is awesome. Like I didn't know or understand a, a lot about what I was hearing on it, but yeah. I was like, this is interesting. And then I kind of 
did some more research and I started going to like cafes in town. And this is probably like eight, close to nine years ago. Mm. So like customer service back then was a little different in like specialty than it may be now. <laughs> and um, let's just say it was very intimidating. Uh, like yep. going into cafes, like not knowing anything. I'm sure you had like similar experiences. That experience. Cause like, I was just like a dirty punk kid. Like I didn't know anything. I was just like, I want to learn more about coffee. And, and like, I was, I was the opposite. I was a total bro. And they're like, this guy's not interested. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so like I'd go in and like, sometimes like people would be really cool and like helpful when I'd ask questions about like the coffees and stuff. And then other times people were just like totally dismissive and like, what, I don't, I don't care, dude. Like whatever. Um, I think it doesn't help that I have like a smug face either. Like, <laughs> like I think that just right off the bat, people are like, I don't know about this guy. Um, but so like I just kept researching and learning and then like YouTube is awesome, you know, for coffee stuff. And like I stumbled upon this company that no longer exists, uh, but they were called Handsome Coffee Roasters. They were out of um, Los Angeles, California. They later got bought out by Blue Bottle Coffee. But their whole shtick, or at least what I got out of it back then was like, yo, we're going to brew you something that's super delicious and we're going to be nice to you. And like, <gasps> to me, I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy. Like that I, cause up to that point I was just like, coffee shops are scary places. I'm just going to learn how to brew coffee at home. Um, but once I saw that, I was like, okay, like there are people out there that like actually care about people like in this industry. And I was like, all right, maybe I'll learn a little bit more. And then, um, just kept like going down that rabbit hole with coffee. And then I, I kind of got to a point at the company I was working at where I was like, yeah, this is like a good job, but like, I don't care about bikes. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Like, I'm just going to move to Alaska. So, um, <laughs> so I moved to Alaska, uh, for like a summer with my girlfriend at the what time. What made you pick Alaska? I was watching a lot of, um, like discovery channel and there was like a lot of like Alaska shows and like deadliest catch and stuff. And I was like, man, Alaska's sick, you know? And like, I grew up North in Duluth. So I was like, it's not too far of a stretch, you know, that's practically Alaska. Exactly. But there's like (laughs) mountains and there's like more bears. Um, so I was like, let's go to Alaska and like feel things out for like the summer. And then when we come back, I'm going to like decide my next steps in life, you know? So Went to Alaska and it was super cool. And when I was out there, I was like still ordering coffee, like left and right from like new roasters, like every week. That's like pretty much where all of my paychecks were going, like buying coffee. And I ended up buying coffee from um, Ruby Coffee Roasters. Mm -hmm. And it was like when they were fairly new. This was like seven years ago ish, seven, eight years ago. And um, I had like just got a V60 and I like emailed Jared, the owner, and I was like, hey, uh, I got a V60. I don't really know how to use it. Do you have like a good recipe? And he like emailed me back like right away. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like this guy owns his business and he's like emailing me right away, like trying to help me out. And then, um, we like went back and forth a couple times. And then like a month later he like followed up. He's like, Hey man, how are things tasting? Like how's brewing going? And I was like, wow, like coffee's cool. Like there's people like this in the industry. Like maybe I should like actually do this. You know, he's probably like, who the heck in Alaska found our coffee? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I think I still have the bag. I'm, I'm like a hoarder with like old coffee bags. Um, but yeah, so we, Alaska ended and then I moved back to Duluth where I'm from and I went to Duluth coffee company and I basically just like begged for a job. And, uh, I sat down with Eric, the owner, and we had like a really good chat. His interviews are like super like laid back. 
where I think we just like drank a beer and he was like, so what's up with your life? Um, and I was like, nothing. I want to do coffee. And then, uh, at the end of it, he was like, you know, it's super great talking to you, but we don't really have anything open right now, but you know, we're going to keep your name on file. If something does. I was like, thanks man. appreciate it. Um, and then like an hour later he called me. He's like, you know what? You seem super passionate. I really want to give you a chance. Um, I'm going to go down to like one bar shift a week. So there's one shift already. And then like somebody else is like dropping a shift a week. So you have two shifts a week. And I was like, perfect. Sign me up. So like I started with two shifts a week and then like every day I wasn't working, I was still like there because I like wanted to be there. I wanted to learn. I wanted to talk to them about, about coffee. So like two shifts turned to like three shifts to four shifts. And then like, before you know it, I was working like six days a week, six, seven days a week. I was there all the time. Um, and that's kind of how I got into coffee. Oh, and then there was like the big central barista competition. That was like another thing. So like a week before I got the job at Duluth Coffee, um, it was like the last time they did the big central in Minneapolis. It was at like a boxing gym and I like heard about it and I went to that and I was like, whoa, there's like coffee competitions. Like this is crazy. <laughs> and I loved it. I was just like, I love like how everybody's like super intense and like focus and it's like, this has to be perfect. Like no drips, like this, that, and the other. And that's like the mentality I had, like going into coffee. I was like, everything has to be perfect. This is how everybody does it, you know? So I moved to Duluth and started working in coffee. And then, yeah, I just kind of fell down that rabbit hole, man. That first experience of finding like that competition is so exciting. But yeah. the weirdness to me was because I had the exact same experience you had that I started getting interested in coffee, but you go into these shops and you're like, oh, I feel like such an asshole trying to ask questions. And, yeah. you know, I, I found the one barista at the shop that yep. I like that would be nice. And if they didn't work, I, if they weren't working, I would walk and order my thing and go. And if they're working, I'm like, hey, t tell me about this. Tell me about that. But then it's funny because you get to the competition side and everybody there is insanely friendly. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on here? How is it, how is <laughs> yeah, it that like we're in an industry opposite. where you walk into a high-end cafe and you're probably, you know, I do think it's changed since five six For years sure ago has. i think people figured out like oh, right yeah, we should probably be nice to people and i was like how is it that too. the cafe can be so intimidating but these competitions are so, and it's like oh it's like a club it's yeah. like once you're in you're in and if you're at a competition you're clearly really interested right and so that's the, what clicked for me that i was like oh it's like if you can show them that you're into coffee they'll be and so what i started doing after that was like just say one or two things about coffee before ordering and they go, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. He's one yeah. of us. And I do yep. think it's changed where people are like, Oh, more people coming in here is good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And so you start working at Duluth. Yep. Six, seven days a week at this point. Is <laughs> yeah. it all barista shifts? It's all barista shifts at that point. And were you interested in roasting coffee at the time or was it more the preparation of coffee that excited you? For me, I kind of wanted to like, in my head, like do things right, like pay my dues. You know what I mean? Like I, I wanted to start I love that mentality, man. Like I wanted to start from the bottom. You know what I mean? Like I want to wash dishes. Like I want to learn like all the back of house stuff. Like I want to learn how to like, you know, like customer service. Like yeah. I want to learn that stuff and I want to learn how to prepare coffee really well before I take on any more responsibilities. You know what I mean? So like I started as a barista and it was amazing. Like, <laughs> God, I just think about like how much milk I wasted because like I would go in there on my days off and just like latte art, latte art, like it needs to be better. It needs to be better. Um, but Eric, the owner was like super like, Hey, yeah, like this is for you to like come in and play around, like learn coffee, like stoked to have you here. So that was great. And then, um, 
I was there for about three and a half, four years. By the end, I was like the director of education and training and just kind of got to a point where I was like, I kind of want to see what else is out there. Like in coffee, like I, I like, I love Duluth Coffee Company. I love those guys, still do. But I was like, I need to like venture out and see what else is going on in coffee. So I, I moved back to Minneapolis at that point. Duluth is such a killer coffee program up there. Yeah. I, I honestly didn't know much about them just because I don't get up to They're Duluth elusive. that much. Yeah. And Jeff and I were like, let's do a planning meeting up in Duluth. And mm. they brought us in for a cupping. We ended up hanging out yep. for like eight hours. And right. it was like everything. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it's like all of a sudden we leave with like $150 of merch. And I'm like, what just yeah. happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I'm, a, it's a whirlwind. Like, man. Oh, man, I get it. But killer coffee program. Awesome people up there. So I could yeah. see how that might happen. When you moved to Minneapolis, did you have something lined up or you're just like, yeah. Yeah, man. So I kind of, I, I had a plan. I was like, all right, what I want to do is like, I want to work in like another cafe in Minneapolis as like a barista just to see how other people run their coffee programs. And then from there, I'm like, I'm going to get into roasting. So I applied at like my, like two of my favorite shops. I applied at Angry Catfish and I applied at Spy House and Spy House never called me. <laughs> so, um, I had an interview at Angry Catfish and it went super awesome. Like I always loved that shop. Like out of all the cafes in town, like at that time I was like the customer service was always phenomenal. Everybody was always super nice. And then the coffees were amazing every time, you know, they were rocking intelligentsia and Ruby. Yeah. I think at that time. Yep. And I was like, yeah, I want to work here for sure. So it worked out and I worked there and I worked there in uh, their sister cafe, uh, Northern Coffee Works, for about a year or so. What was it like transitioning from Duluth Coffee to a new program? Was it a lo- lot of similarities, or was it hard to transition to a new new program? It was interesting, because, like, I think, like, Duluth is so secluded with, like, their coffee culture, I guess, you know, because, like, there isn't really one in Duluth. Yeah. So, like, in my head, like, watching all these YouTube videos and, like, documentaries about coffee i'm like everybody that works in coffee is super intense about it like everybody that works in coffee like wants to do this for their life you know what i mean and so like when i came to minneapolis i was like that's everybody's mentality like everybody that works here is like coffee 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 and like everybody that worked there like cared about doing a good job but a lot of people were like i'm just going to school yeah you know what i mean like i'm not gonna do this forever like this is a good job but like i don't care about this like sl28 from costa rica like that's neat but like i'm whatever like i just want to serve good drinks and be nice to people Mm -hmm. cool so that was like a good shock to me i guess where i was like all right not everybody is as intense about this as i am and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but it was an amazing coffee program that they had set up there you know like they worked with intelligentsia so they were they had like um access to like their training and stuff like that so I kind of got a taste of all like that world of like intelligentsia and like how they operate and their like wholesale program and yeah it was super awesome yeah how long of a time was there between your time at Angry Catfish Northern Coffee Works and your first time on machine starting to roast oh boy um so after Angry Catfish Northern Coffee Works, I actually worked at Mill City Roasters for like a minute. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a really brief time. It was cool. It just didn't work out. Like I, I realized pretty shortly into that where I was like, I need to be like in a cafe setting, like production roastery. Yeah. Mill City Roasters, for anybody listening that doesn't know, is a, a company that 
produces the actual roasting machines up in Northeast Minneapolis. Yep. And they're awesome. They're super cool and they're really understanding. Um, so, I mean, from Angry Catfish to Northern um, to Mill City, I like I left Mill City, applied at Spy House again, and they called me this time. And they're like, hey, you know, like, do you want to come in for an interview? And then I did. And I, I told them up front, I was like, hey, like, I'll be a barista to start, but like, I really want to get into like the roastery. Like, that's where my passion is. That's where I'm going. And they're like, yeah, there's nothing open right now, but like, you know, we got shifts for you if you want to be a barista. I was like, awesome. So started as a barista at Spy House. And then about a month in, I got a call from like another company in town that was like, hey, we're starting our own roasting program. Do you want to come over and be the roaster? And I was like, oh, ooh, you know, because like, I just started at Spy House and I was like, I don't, that's kind of a dick move if I like start here and then like go do this, but it's like, I want to roast. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to roast. Yeah. Sign me up. And then the next day, <laughs> Tony Quario from Spy House is like, Hey, we have a spot opening up in, uh, the roastery. Like, <laughs> like we know that you are planning to move on, but like, this is where you'd start. You'd start as like a production assistant. Like you wouldn't be on the machine right away, but he's like, if you know, we could get there eventually. And I was like, Oh boy, Sophie's choice, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> cause like I had greatly admired like Tony as like a person, even before working at spy house. And like, he, he, to me, he's one of the best roasters in the country yeah, you've got this conundrum of you could like on paper skip a few steps and start yeah. roasting right away for a brand new program that you has no established reputation yep. versus a program that's nationally renowned with yeah. obviously like former u.s roaster champ yeah a yeah. lot of things going on that's like all right yeah so i mean and it goes back to me like i gotta pay my dues you know like, I don't want to just be handed this thing. So it was tough because I had to tell people that I like really care about, you know, like, Hey, I, I got to pass on this thing. I'm going to try this thing at spy house. So took the job. And then within a couple months I was the production manager. And then, um, by the end of my time at spy house, I was the head roaster. So how long of a period was that? Uh, I was at spy house for about two years. Dang. <laughs> yeah. what, what was it like from having never roasted before, was it what you expected? Um, yes and no. I mean, it was like I had been around roasting a lot, like especially at Duluth Coffee because they like roasted in the cafe. Mm -hmm. um, but like a lot of what I was doing was like production roasting, you know, which is essentially like following, like tracing a line, like following the curve and like learning mechanics of a machine. And then the more like the essentially like the beginning of it wasn't even like roast theory or like learning much about roasting. It's just like learning mechanics, which is essentially the same as like when most people are training in like new baristas, like you don't need to yeah. understand why things are happening. You just need to follow directions. In yeah. The beginning I to can, get an end result. There's like the really comparable thing in craft beer where I come from, where it's like everybody pictures the brewer as this sexy position. Yeah. That's like, right. Oh cool. It's what's in the commercial. It's what all the videos are about. It's like, there's one head brewer yeah. who's making new recipes. By the way, not that many new recipes. Yeah. If, you, if you have a good business, you probably have one or two beers that are driving most of your business. And then the other mm -hmm. stuff is kind of just rotating and for fun. 
And I found it to be really similar in coffee where a lot of people are like, oh my God, roasting would be such a sexy. It's same, same with barista. It, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yes and no. I mean, there's, it, obviously there's those moments where it's like, this is beautiful. You know what I mean? Like you get a coffee and you're like, wow, that's amazing. But I mean, a lot of it's just labor. Here's the curve. Here's the curve. I, I know how to adjust it to keep it along that curve. Yeah. And I've been trained enough to know which variables to manipulate to keep it along this curve. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And I mean, as time went on, Tony would like give me more little snippets of like, this is what we're looking for. Like taking on more of like a, having like influence on how we roasted coffee. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was crazy. Was that kind of your experience all the way up to head roaster? And even at head roaster, were you doing more of the kind of uh, discovery of new coffees or was that still along the lines of production? Little both. I mean, most, it was a lot of just like working with Tony. Unlike stuff like, hey, we're getting these coffees in. Like, what should we do with them? You know? So, I mean, it was it was great. Now you have Underwood. Yeah. Yeah. So you go That's from here. Spy House yep. to now having fully launched officially. Yeah. Yeah. We're oh, up and running. Underwood Coffee. Underwoodcoffee.com. Right? There we are. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry. I'll put it in the show notes. So it'll be <laughs> readily available. What happens between your time there and Underwood that made this all come together? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always been kind of like the end goal to do this. You know, like do my own thing. Um, I come from like a long line of like entrepreneurs in my family, like my my grandfather and his father and his brother. And they're all like independent truck drivers. Right. So they all own like their own trucking companies. Worked for themselves most of their lives. So like at a very young age, that was kind of like instilled in me. It's like, oh, yeah, you should work for yourself. Why would you want to work for anyone else? It's so funny that that like that's truly to me what entrepreneurship is. And now this word has been taken by like the hashtag hustle every day, the crew, which I've definitely been accused of being that before. And I maybe I deserve a little bit of that. (laughs) But uh, it's it to me, that's more true entrepreneurship where it's like, oh, I do this thing really well. I should sell this directly to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it took a long time for me to be like confident enough to be like, all right, I know enough. Like I know I can do this and do a good job. That is so key though. Cause going back to craft beer, you see people make like a solid homebrew. Yeah. And they're like, let's go. They get silver medal in a good homebrew competition. And they're yeah. like, I'm a brewer now let's go. And then they get to the commercial scale and like, a different world. Launching commercially yeah. is basically a magnifying on your skill, uh, magnifying glass on your skill set. And mm-hmm. if everything, if you don't know every in and out of how this thing works, it's going to show. And something like coffee, where like as I know, and as I'm sure you know, the people who are really into it will dissect what you're doing beyond Ooh, what you would yeah. ever imagine. Oh yeah, I, that was me. Like you know what I mean? Like I, forever, I'd taste people's coffees and I'd be like, oh yeah, I know. I didn't, yeah, I see what happened there. Yeah, you know. And now it's like. <laughs> I, I do that stuff like when I get new coffees in like I'm, I'm never one thing I've learned is like I'm never going to be happy like with anything I put out like fully with every coffee it's like yeah I could have done something different there you know what I mean but, but like everyone around me is like yeah that's great it's perfect like I love it it's so good what are you talking about it's like nah <laughs> I, yeah. the, the people that will tell you that what they're doing is perfect and they've reached it are they're never the ones that actually is the best. It's kind of the catch 22 that you're like, if you could be happy with what you're doing over time, it will absolutely degrade the quality of what you're doing because you won't want to make it any better. Yeah. You got to keep chasing it, you know? So at what point did it become that you wanted to do this to actually pulling the trigger on doing it? Oh, wow. So, I mean, I had (laughs) the logo made up in like 2016 (laughs) 
So I got a little ahead of it. So it's really been in mind. Yeah. Um, but I mean, really, I kind of had like a checklist of things I wanted to do in coffee before I was like, let's go. And like one of the last things I wanted to do was like visit a coffee producing country. And pretty much almost exactly a year ago now, I was in Peru. So Spy House sent me to Peru to like buy coffee and like meet producers. And it was incredible. Right. And um, after that, like I came back and I was like, all right, I did it. Like check. Like let's, I got to start planning now. So at that point I like picked up a second job and I was, so I was working full time at spy house and then I was working part time at a liquor store. This explains the natural wine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the last puzzle piece by, by our house. So I was working quite a bit there saving up and then, um, quarantine happened and everything shut down. And so for a minute there, I was freaking out. I was like, we're not going to be able to do this right now. So I actually, I have a partner in the business. My, uh, my girlfriend, Sam and I own it together. So we were like both looking at each other in our apartment, like, yeah, we're going to have to probably hit pause here for a minute. Cause like neither of us can work. You know, we both went from like full time, like working two jobs, whatever to like nothing. So we were just kind of hanging out and then like, you know, unemployment kicked in and we started getting that extra 600 a month. And we started like saving and, it, everything kind of still lined up according to our plans, if not better because of that time. Cause we had more time to like, just work on our business plan. So in a very that. weird way, the timing worked out really nicely. Yeah. It's yeah. a, no, I've, and I've heard this from a couple of people really that strange. they're like the uncomfortable truth about the situation is that this has kind of helped me with it, it for people who were like, time was the biggest thing they were lacking. Oh, for sure. And yep. The approach to making the decision, this might be like the most analytical approach I've heard to starting a business I've ever heard. And like having a list of things that before I do my own thing, here's a literal checklist of things that need to happen to start it. But that's so yeah. smart because so many people, yeah. they go, oh, I've got this idea. I just, I want to wait until the time is right. Mm-hmm. And here's, a, if, if you didn't have that checklist of things and you've that like, you can go back on, no, I decided this a long time ago. Here's the checklist. Right. If you didn't have that, when quarantine hit and the pandemic hit, you your gut is obviously not going to scream, this is the perfect time. <laughs> so you might have been like, oh, I should, I'm, you know, I'll just wait the two weeks that this pandemic will happen for yeah. this to be over and then start it then. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I mean, I knew I was kind of like, all right, with our model, like we're not opening a cafe. You know what I mean? Like most of our sales, it's going to be online and wholesale. What better time than when everybody's at home ordering coffee? So like it, it's, it's worked out for us. Yeah. You know, I, like there's pros and cons obviously any, to everything. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who's listened to me talk ever has been like cafe Wednesday coming. I'm like, probably never. Yeah. Like right. I'm telling you if coffee is what you're passionate about this, I, I can to this day, not remember who gave me this advice. There's a period of time where I was meeting with maybe like two or three people a day. Mm-hmm. Just like, I need to know everything about coffee and the best advice I got, and I cannot remember who it was. They're like, if you're going to start roasting coffee, either start a cafe first or a roaster first, and then decide yeah. later if you want to do the other thing. Right. And I was like, well, it's the coffee that I'm pumped about. The coffee is what I get excited about. Then they're like, roast first. Figure out later if you want to do the cafe. Because then at least if you roast first and you do a cafe later, you're not out hundreds of thousands of dollars if that thing doesn't work. Oh, yeah. And I mean, for us too, like we, we want to help like other people that have cafes or are exactly. opening cafes, like improve their programs or like start the programs. Like we offer consulting and training, you know? You saying just walking into Angry Catfish, 
here's something that I think gets undervalued by cafes so much. Okay. Mm. You walk in Angry Catfish. The first thing you notice as a person who loves great coffee. Oh, shit. They got Intelligentsia and Ruby here. This is a good shop. Yeah. And they have to prove you wrong otherwise. Right. Versus most people want a private label. Well, we need our own brand of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. So you walk into a place that's got one location that you've never been before. You know nothing about it. You see they have their own brand of coffee and you're still neutral. Yeah. I'm like that that right there show is like such a valuable piece and like what you're saying is exactly what I'm trying to say is like I don't need a cafe because I want to find people who are passionate about that and have them serve our coffees. Yeah. I mean it's it's wild. Like I can't imagine having a cafe and doing the roasting right now. That just seems nuts. Like Eric did it at Duluth Coffee and like I don't know how because like he was working bar shifts and then like roasting and then going out and selling coffee and delivering coffee. And it's like I I'm having a, like my days are filled enough with just like roasting and trying to sell. Coffee. Yeah, we're doing tours on the weekend and we have like yeah. a staff of like six people, maybe four working at a time. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to schedule out the next month. When do I have time to yeah. do this? Yeah. And so to have a staff of like 50 plus baristas while also trying to stay engaged with what you're doing on a coffee perspective. Right. So you're now on unemployment. You've got time now. Oh, yeah. What are your steps at this point? Oh, boy. Um, drank a lot of coffee. Watched all the Star Wars movies. Um, Natural first step. Yeah. And, I mean, worked on the business plan and just started, like, planning and chipping away at things. You know, like, all right, we're going to need somewhere to roast. Where are we going to roast? Should we buy a machine we're going to outgrow in, like, six months? Or should we, like, talk to Eric at Duluth Coffee Company? So I, I hit up Eric and I we met. We actually met before um, everything shut down because, like, I told him, like, hey, I'm moving back home to do this. And he was like, hey, let's talk. So I was like, we're doing this. And he's like, you can just roast out of the cafe. That's sick. And I was like, cool, man. Like, do you want me to pay you? He's like, just give me a case of beer every now and again. I wish I had that deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Eric has been like a mentor, boss, and now just like a really good friend. Like he's helped us out so much. And I mean, that's just kind of his MO. He just wants to like see other people succeed. You know what I mean? And like, I think he understands like rising tides lift all ships. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in that. And hopefully it doesn't come across as phony, but that's how I believe that again, third time I've referenced craft beer this episode, but there's so many parallels. There's a lot of different food and beverage things, but craft beer and coffee just seem to share the symbiotic relationship and what craft beer did really well i'm a broken record i know but what craft beer did really well is craft breweries didn't go drink my beer yeah they said drink craft beer and so people went out and started drinking all the craft beers and then people realized oh do you know how many people only drank light beer before this? Almost all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I look at coffee, I'm not going, oh man, if I, if I have a customer go drink Underwood coffee, I'm going, no, that means if someone has drank Underwood coffee, that means they're a fan of great coffee. That yeah. means that they're probably going to appreciate what we're all doing. And the population of people to attract is someone who's never had this great cup, someone who's a loyal Starbucks drinker, yep, someone who's absolutely. someone who's you getting your first blade grinder <laughs> with a French press and yeah. getting a thing of caribou and going, oh, this tastes better yeah, already. What's going on here? And I mean, I the, the beer parallel uh, totally. I see that stuff all the time, and like I I I use this analogy a lot where I'm like, all right, so like. 
there's a new burger place in town, right? You, you hear they have a great burger, right? So you go there and you're like, oh, this is a really good burger, right? I love this burger. And then you go somewhere else and it's a burger place. And you hear like, oh, it's a great burger. You got to go check it out. You go there and it's like exactly the same burger you just had. You're like, yeah, this is really good, but I thought this was going to be different, you know? So like if there's like only one coffee roaster in a town and they're everywhere, aren't you going to get kind of bored drinking the same coffee everywhere you go? Wouldn't it be more fun if there was a different burger place that maybe put bacon on their burger? I don't know. (laughs) This reminds me of this awesome case study that I read about Coke and Pepsi. And I've always, like, you just kind of notice it and you never think about it, but you go, why is it that every time there's a Coke machine, like a, you know, just a a soda dispensing machine, every time there's a Coke machine, there's a Pepsi machine right by it. Who would allow that? If you've got one, who would allow there to be another machine there? This doesn't make any sense. Uh, And you just never really think about whatever. They're both there. I have options. Well, the case study found that, okay, so if you have a Coke machine and you have a Pepsi machine next to it, both are going to sell more. Yeah. So the amount of Coca-Cola you would sell out of a Coke machine is less than the amount of Coca-Cola you would sell if there's a Pepsi machine right next to it. And also that Pepsi machine is going to sell more than that original Coke machine. And that to me is like the absolute like definition of the rising tide raising all ships yeah. is both Coke and Pepsi are happy because people are more likely to get something if they have a choice. Yeah, it's nice to have options. And so when the, yeah. the when the question is not yes or no, the question is like which one, they're more likely to get one. And so I want there to be as many options of great coffee as possible so that people are like, which right. great coffee should I get? Yeah, what and, am I in the mood for today? Yeah, and if you yeah. get enough people, I, I call them converts from the, <laughs> you know, your chain coffee. Once you get enough of these converts yeah. over to this, there's enough room for everybody. Oh, for sure. And I know there's a the craft beer bubbles happening now and there is an oversaturation and like there is a point, but with coffee, I don't even think we're close to no, being there. No way. Especially when you look at like Duluth, crazy. There's so much room, I think. You know what I mean? Like Duluth is a small town slash city, but like... I saw, like, growing up there, like, I saw all these, like, new breweries come in. Like, for a long time, it was just, like, Lake Superior Brewing and, like, Fickers. Those were, like, the local craft brews, right? And then now there's, like, Ben Battle, there's a Miner, like, Earthrider. Like, there's so many breweries, right? And, like you said, like, what they all do well is, like, oh, you like this beer? You gotta go check out this sour over at so-and-so's. It's, like, they all feed off of each other. And now people, like, make trips to, like, go to Duluth to go, like, check out, like, beer tours, you know? There potentially someday could be that kind of same vibe for coffee where people are like, oh, I'm going to Duluth to check out, you know, Underwood and Almanac and Duluth Coffee. Like, yeah. So, I mean, we're banking on that. <laughs> There's room. We're hoping. So. Yeah. When, so when you're uh, starting to build out the business plan and doing these final steps, how long did it take you from really starting to be like, we're going to launch this thing seriously now yeah. to actually the full launch, which happened fairly recently, if I remember correctly. Yeah, like the 10th, I think of October. Yeah. Yep. Um boy. I'd say about a year. Here's the other I was just thinking about this in the whole process of launching. Here's another benefit of wholesale only and not having a cafe is guess what? Where you're roasting now already has all the proper licensing in place to be able to roast coffee. That was there. really nice. Yeah. And Don't, with the Department of Ag. That oh. was a really nice, easy 
and that, inspection. That saves a lot of stress and yeah. a lot of things that you, that's where all those hidden expenses are. There's just <laughs> yeah. small little things that you never think about needing, right. especially with coffee, with like afterburners and all these different certifications you may need, depending on where you're at. It's wild. And I mean, luckily, I mean, I've been doing coffee for so long that I've seen other people run into those things yeah. where it's like, all right, yeah, you got to really deep dive into that build out and make sure everything is covered before you bring people in. And so. with your uh, program, so now that you've launched, how did you decide which coffees you're going to launch with? And like, I know it's different blended names, but you also yeah. have straight up single origins available. How did yep. you decide what to name your blends? What flavor profile they should have and which ones to offer upon your launch. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing with Underwood is like, I always wanted to kind of create like my ideal coffee company that could also be like approachable, um, to everyone, you know? And I know that there's like a lot of company coffee companies out there that like preach like, Oh, we're inclusive. We're approachable. Everyone's welcome. Right. And then you go there and you just feel like poor and dirty. Um, and you're not supposed to be there. So they're, they're trying to be approachable and inclusive to a very specific crowd. Uh, as what we're trying to do is like, no, like really, we don't care who you are. As long as like you're cool, we want you to buy our coffee and enjoy it. So with the menu, I wanted to start out with like really approachable coffees, um, that could be versatile. Um, so like pretty much we have the, Columbia Wheeler, which is like a regional select coffee from Cafe Imports. That's what I'm drinking right now. Yep. Who I've known and worked with for years. Um, and that coffee, I was like, I knew immediately, I was like, I want to have this Columbia. Um, and then I want to have like a natural Ethiopia on the menu um, <clears throat> or cherry dried Ethiopia. Sorry. And uh, so because like that coffee is always going to be like one of those coffees that gets people going like, whoa, like I didn't know coffee could taste like this. That is my literal first cup of natural Ethiopia. Yeah. I noticed you said cherry picked. Is this something I'm, I'm behind? Well, on? cherry dried, cherry dried is something I got from Tony at spy house Okay, and his reasoning behind it. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something along the lines of like, calling a like a naturally processed coffee natural a consumer sees that who doesn't know what it really is and they get preconceived notions they're like oh it's natural it's better it's organic it's better for you and so he's like it's cherry dried which i mean literally it is it's dried in the cherry smart you know and that way there's no like oh it's natural it's better and then somebody gets in they're like i don't really like that or they just you know it's just it goes down that rabbit hole of like there's so many gray areas in coffee yeah you're like naming things no i noticed that it's super smart i mean like i i I intuitively knew what you meant but i was like oh interesting right i want to know the meaning behind that um and then so like i knew the columbia was gonna do well because who doesn't love like a classic colombian coffee um and then the ethiopia i wanted that one to kind of like as an eye-opener coffee and then i knew i was like all right i could use these two coffees for a blend um, and then we're using that blend is like an Omni roast. I think a lot of people call it where it's going to taste great on drip and you can also brew it as espresso and it's going to be phenomenal. You know, it's developed enough to like handle picking up, that picking up new terms. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> I feel and, like I've heard that, but yeah, I think that's the first time I've heard someone say it to me. Omni roast. It's a weird one. Yeah. It's whatever. And then, also uh, the name of my metal band. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of metal. So our, <laughs> Our darkish roast, uh, Unhollowed, is actually named after uh, an album by a 
like a, a, a metal band called the Black Dahlia Murder. It was their first record. It was called Unhollowed. And uh, I don't know. It just seemed fitting. That's for, awesome. For that coffee, I was like, I just want to have like a mean sounding like dark roast name. Darkish roast name. So that's what we came up with for that one. And then um, <clears throat> for Little Arrow, uh, originally pretty much almost like two weeks before we launched, Little Arrow was going to be called Slapshot. And uh, I've like I don't know how I didn't catch it earlier, but I did. I was like, I'm just going to search Slapshot Blend again, one more time. And then I found out that there's like a a, a roastery in New York that has like a Slapshot Blend, mm. and they have like enough of a following where I was like, ah, I can't use it now. <laughs> but I was like, this is going to kill up north, you know, <laughs> Hockey Town, Slapshot. But then I was like, all right, playing around with a couple other blend names, and I was like, Little Arrow, that sounds fun. And that Little Arrow is like a Big Thief song. Okay. By the band Big Thief. I was like, yeah, it looks kind of cute. Sounds fun. Little arrow. So that's how we got to there. And with the blend, I, I just, you know, I wanted it to be approachable, comforting, like those flavors that are just like classic and that like everyone likes, you know, like cherry. Like who doesn't like like cherry fudge and like almond? It's like the, the best combo. Yeah. In my mind. And do you have like a longer term vision of where you'd like to take it or is this kind of the long term uh kind of uh variety that you would always like to have with underwood you know i think we'll probably have like these staple coffees like on the menu and then like as things kind of progress i'm going to add some more like uh single producer mm-hmm. coffees on the menu it's just i kind of wanted to to launch with these and really get to know kind of where i wanted to take these coffees before introducing any new ones if that makes sense like i wanted to get used to like this new machine that i'm roasting on i wanted to get used to these new coffees and get people kind of familiar with our brand with these kind of staples before i sprinkle in these other more wild exotic coffees what uh what machine are you roasting on up there roasting on a 12 kilo uh u.s roaster corp and how's that been transitioning from your time at spy house to that machine very different yeah uh, yeah it's crazy uh so that spy house machine was like a 1950s like refurbished uh ug22 cast iron drum beast of a machine uh to going to this like uh double steel walled um smaller u.s roaster corp machine uh the way that they take heat on is completely different so like i i was just like burning a ton of coffee initially because like charge temps were too high because like stainless like you hit turn the gas on and it's just like push (laughs) hits it rather than like cast iron it takes it like slowly soaks in that heat so yeah i was roasting some bad coffee for a while but luckily i have tons of friends and family up north that you know choked (laughs) choked it down (laughs) so there there was a little learning curve there with that that new machine i'm not ashamed yeah and that, but that, that's so key to, that you had the time built in for that where yeah I, I, i've seen people get new roasters and be like all right the new roaster's in let's <laughs> let's start shit. selling again or let's start selling and you're like oh you should make you yeah. gotta build in time to roast on that new machine like every temperature probe is different every yeah. machine roast is yeah. so different because even jeff was like looking at some graphs and talking to some people about charge temps and he was like wait what do you charge it at what he's like well, i'm like 40 degrees higher and, it, it's and they're like it's, every machine's different like it's the machine it's you're yeah. not actually charging 40 degrees higher on a similar coffee than we are yeah 
what is your take on light, medium, dark roast in terms of how to like label them and how to communicate that to customer? Because that is something I am yeah. trying to figure out myself. I kind of just don't. Um, Thank you. <laughs> like I just kind of let the copies speak for themselves. I mean, I, I even like flavor notes. I don't know how I feel about them yet. Like we have them on the bags, but things could change. Like I don't know. Um, I think they're kind of nice as like a reference where people are like, oh yeah, fudge, you know, cherry, almond, cool. But like when people are like, what is this a light roast, dark roast? It's like, you know, all of our coffees are going to be roasted around like light to medium, you know, to, to be properly developed. You know, we're trying to get the most out of each coffee. And that's, it's, it's a tough thing to do because there are people who are like, well, which is it though? And yeah. And you're like, yeah. it's, they want you know, like a not definitive re- answer. So it's like a medium. You're like, yeah, well, sure. It's like a medium <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's something we're trying to figure out. And we, you know, we did a dark roast and then we did a Halloween really dark roast. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I was like, even the Halloween dark roast for us, this is the darkest we'll ever roast a coffee. Like you yeah. still can taste the quality of the coffee under it, but any darker and you're not tasting anything. And that to us is like, this is super dark, but it was like just hitting second crack when we dropped yeah. it. Yeah. And so for some people that's like their medium roast, yeah. it's like just hitting second crack. Right. It's just, it's so subjective. So it's more confusing you know? to me to try to label stuff. I don't know, but that that's something that I think customers, once they figure it out, that's like, Oh, that's all made up. And yeah, it's just, I think there's a sweet spot, a sweet spot for every coffee for like yeah. every bean. There's a sweet spot where you go, this is where it tastes the best. Mm-hmm. And that's where we roast it. And most people go, Oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I had to like, if I was talking to someone, probably from an older generation, I might say like more of like a Northern Italian style roast. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm stealing this from like Andrew Barnett from Linea Cafe, uh, cafe out in um, San Francisco. He's been in the game forever. One of my favorite roasteries in the country. But like Northern Italy, like the the style of roasting there is like more on like the light medium side rather than like um, like Southern Italy. I think it's like where you get that like super dark robusta. The black bean where you're like that is literally dark. Yeah. Looking at those, you're just like the... Smoky. This is yeah. a bold smoky profile that we rose to this one. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for me, like throughout my career, like I've gone kind of like all over the map where I'm like, oh, I'm super into like this super like Nordic light roast. Like it's super tea like and like aromatic and floral. And then now where I'm at, it's like I kind of like a more developed coffee, you know, a little more caramelized sugars and like some sweet, like a lot of sweetness. And that's what I'm into think most people that's where they land yeah because the, full circle because it's like the the super light high acid coffees are interesting and fun yep but then you're like oh i have a full 12 ounce bag of this a cup of this every single day is like then you you have that for a few days in a row you go back to like a nice develop with some good caramelization like yep. a, just a good sweet cup of coffee you're like oh thank god this is so nice yeah <laughs> and i mean i feel like i kind of went through like a similar thing with like beer where like you know, I drink like crappy beer and then I got into like, oh, I need this like double IPA and this like stout and whatever. And now it's like, I just want to drink like high life, you know, (laughs) it's consistent. It's good. Every time every craft brewery now has landed at like light lager. This is our best sellers. You're like, yeah, because it's refreshing and delicious and you can drink a bunch of it. Exactly. And that's how, that's how we try to approach it too, is like, we love these coffees. We love roasting them. These are fun. 
but our classic show. This yeah. is what most people. This is our volume. This is our volume driver. This is yeah. what people buy. This is what people really like. And even Jeff, like, I have to tell him, hey man, don't like, be careful of how you use your words when you're describing classic Joe because you make it sound super boring. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to go back to the first yeah. time you ever had a decent cup for somebody that's only had bad coffee, and then they have that nice sweet. They go, wait a second, this isn't bitter. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, what? Yeah, smooth. Yeah, that's like the biggest flavor descriptor you hear, you know, from like people who don't really know coffee. They're like, oh, it's so smooth. Yeah, so smooth, which is like we kind of work that into like our branding with like the rough hands make smooth coffee. Dude, your branding is so awesome. Like that logo. So who who did your logo and all Uh, that? Luke Leesky, who is an artist and tattoo artist down here. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just like, like, I love the branding. It's so cool. And like the tagline, rough hands make smooth coffee. I kind of, I wanted my Beautiful. like, uh, you know, like Maxwell house, like good to the last drop. Like <laughs> I wanted to have something that people could see and be like, oh yeah, that, that's Underwood coffee. Yep. Yeah. And tagline. what I love, what I love about that is it's like true to your story that yeah. even every place you go, you're like, I want to start from scratch. I want to work my way up. And basically I want to earn what I'm about to do. And especially in the age today where people are like, uh, I think I'm going to start a coffee roaster. Have you roasted? No, but I have an Instagram now, so I'm a coffee roaster. And (laughs) then they try to like, they start to roast coffee and they're like, I have a coffee roaster. And it's, it's tough because I face it all the time when you tell somebody I have a coffee roasting business and they're like, um, okay. Yeah. 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 Just like, uh, you know, people, (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it, but it's just like, it's not that hard to start roasting coffee and selling it. No, it's pretty, there's some affordable machines out there that you could do what you do and go to a local roaster and say, Hey, can I start roasting on your machine? But I think the key to why I think, well, first of all, your coffee is great. Like this is even just this Columbia, Columbia Wheela, very simple coffee. Yeah. Like the flavors you're getting out of it are really nice. There's good natural sweetness. Some of that like cherry undertone, those things mm-hmm. that are difficult to bring out in what is kind of a simple coffee. Yeah. But people just want to skip all those steps and, and yeah. hear your story. The they want to hear your story and be like, oh, so I could go to a roaster, pay them to use their machine. And now I have a coffee roasting business. And he's like, kind of. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, people can do it. Like, I mean, look at Blue Bottle. Yeah. I think that I think that guy did a lot for like people who were just like, oh, I mean, look at Blue Bottle. They're huge. Like they, <laughs> they got bought by Nestle. Like, I mean, he was just like a classically trained musician who was like, I'm going to start roasting coffee. And then he did. Like, yeah. You know no prior experience and i'm super guilty that that's how i thought i was going to start folly i'm like yeah. i'll just learn how to roast coffee and i'll be the roaster and so i got an alio uh bullet r1 mm-hmm. i started roasting made a couple of good batches like i could do this yeah and then i roasted the same coffee and it turned out super different sometimes also good sometimes terrible <laughs> and i'm like oh i if i'm gonna learn this it's gonna take years and years of work yeah but I think the timing is now in, in my life and in the industry. And honestly, it's the end product that I'm most passionate about. And that's where I found Ken. I was like, okay, here's a person who can do it. And I think too many people don't want to put in the work yeah. or admit that I'm not the person to right. do this. I mean, it all depends on the person or person's yeah. like mentality, you know? Like I, I don't know. Like before coffee, I kind of assumed I was just going to be working like labor jobs forever you know yeah. and like that's and that was fine you know it's just how i grew up it's like you just work but that know? that mentality everybody thinks that uh these are like sexy jobs like oh a coffee roaster <laughs> yeah. this is a sexy job and it's like not if you're roasting a lot of coffee because 95 percent of it is not the sexy sourcing a new coffee and dialing it in and bringing out these flavors and discovering a new coffee that's like once every 
maybe four times a year on each type of coffee you serve most of it is what you were talking about production yeah. roasting and it's it's a grind you gotta love that stuff though. Y- yeah you have to enjoy that kind of like mon- not mundane but like that repetition yeah the repetitive you know, nature of bag it. after bag of coffee you know, like <laughs> scooping green coffee when you're allergic to it which i am um i found that out in a really fun way when i broke out in hives uh, you <laughs> like, break out knives every time you're scooping greens no no that just happened once but i mean now I, I just i wear a mask every time and otherwise it's just like i get super congested like sneezing like crazy like my eyes i just like look like i'm crying and, and that happened and you're like i'm in the right i'm doing the right thing here yeah <laughs> yeah so that's awesome so love it uh what's kind of your strategy of getting people to figure out about you uh, yeah getting people to the website of figuring out who, like what underwood is so we're pushing Instagram really hard. Mm-hmm. Like we're pretty active on there and Facebook and um, just trying to get the word out through that. Um, <clears throat> and otherwise we're, we're slowly chipping away at trying to pick up some more wholesale partners. Mm-hmm. It's just, I kind of wanted to start um, slow and steady. Yeah. My like biggest fear is like, <laughs> I don't know how to say it without sounding arrogant is that we were going to be too successful too fast. It's a very, very good concern to have, you know, where I just didn't want to be like, ah, like, while we were still learning like all of the back end stuff of like accounting and like keeping track of books, like I kind of wanted to slowly build into these things before like taking off with a ton of accounts. Uh, people are like, oh, you should prepare for the worst case scenario. And I go, that doesn't just pertain to if nobody buys it. What yeah. if more people than expected and then you have bad service? That's also would end up yeah, business. And exactly. It's, yeah, you don't really want to outwardly say it like, oh, I, I'm worried about being having too many sales and people would never feel bad for you. But <laughs> yeah, like right. when you stretch beyond your own capabilities, yeah. it's equally devastating to a business as if you can't find a customer to buy it. Right. Because right now it's just me and Sam doing everything. And I mean, she's working full time. Um at like a floral boutique and then she does like um, vintage resale too so she's really busy mm-hmm. and so I mean a lot of it is just like me running around like trying to do everything and like slowly trying to figure out how to like manage our time the most efficiently as we can before things start to like really ramp up because like we still have to like find our own space too mm-hmm. you know within the next six months to a year because I feel like we're gonna outgrow Duluth coffee pretty quick so it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, but I mean, it's it's scary. So we'll end on yeah. this. What is a natural wine? Ooh, and I, is there a term like cherry dried that you apply to those wines as well? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I, I feel bad talking about natural wine because I, I, I really don't know everything. I don't know a ton. I, I mean, if, if somebody asked me what a natural wine was, I'd say it's just like a minim, minimal intervention wine. Like most conventional wine there's things added in the process um to like make it hit like a certain profile with natural wine it's just like fermented grape juice thrown in a bottle and what you get is what you get and i mean there's ways to like coax things to like get like a good product i'm not just saying they're like well just let it go um i mean some people are but like it's very like minimal um intervention it's just people just my understanding of wine is that the 
the yeast is naturally occurring on the skin of grapes because that's yeah. the, that's like the yeah. white kind of uh, if you ever see like a unwashed grape, isn't that what like the white residue on the outside of a grape is like naturally yep. occurring yeast? Yeah. So like with conventional wine, they add like artificial yeast or like other yeast and like sugars and like crazy things. Like here's an efficient yeast that's yeah. going to get us a good yield. Yep. To get like a good solid profile with natural wine, it's more about like quality like picking like i mean similar like parallels to coffee where you're only picking like ripe cherries at certain times and like really watching things closely and like every vintage is different which i think is fun like every bottle to bottle you can find like differences and like it's it's wild i try to picture the first person that like squeezed a bunch of grapes got the juice out let yeah. it sit out for a little too long and start <laughs> foaming and they're like yeah, it's that. a little foamy but i think i'll drink it and then they drink it and like the first person that got drunk off wine probably thought that was forever yeah like, <laughs> this never gonna what? oh my god this is what life is like now oh boy but so that's what a natural that's that's i never knew that less i mean it's just is the flavor profile uh is there like a distinct so obviously with like natural coffees you yeah. go all very fruit forward is yeah. there kind of a flavor profile of natural wines versus a more like commercial example i mean there's i mean you're gonna find a lot of differences i mean it depends on like the varieties um of the wine like if you have like a like a rosé or like a juicy like syrah or whatever i mean there's so many different variances but you can find like an oaky cab that like is a natural wine you know it's all about like what the producer did at the farm level really with the wine when they harvested um yeah wine's kind of crazy it's that's a rabbit it's, hole it's a huge rabbit hole like i'm not even like i haven't made like a 10 percent dent natural wine i just enjoy drinking it a lot that's, <laughs> qu- that's my thing. quarantine's like now i have the time to do it whenever yeah, i feel like yeah, pretty much stocked up <laughs> that's awesome so where can people find you underwood underwoodcoffee.com yep what's your uh, what's the insta handle uh just underwood coffee underwood coffee oh yep. easy peasy easy peasy underwood coffee at underwood coffee instagram facebook facebook underwood coffee we should pop up yeah beautiful well i'll put that in the show notes so people can find you awesome excellent roast i'm drinking right now i'm excited for the one that you brought me oh, thank you, thank uh, you. thanks so much for coming in yeah, <laughs> we, we, we scheduled this yesterday yeah here's the third person thing again i was like yeah. oh i gotta get you on the podcast when are you gonna be in the cities you're like tomorrow i'm picking up coffee i was like yeah i guess come on by <laughs> this is awesome man thank you so much for coming in i'll end for it like sure. i end every other episode and say have a nice day